Good morning, once again. Thank you for being here on this first Sunday in December and joining us again this week for what has become our weekly foray into the Acts of the Apostles. We're nearing the completion of this year's-long journey for 2023, as we will read from Acts 27 this morning. Sunday before last, we read of the Apostle Paul's giving testimony to Christ, giving testimony to Christ in chapter 26 while he was being held in protective custody away from the Jews that wanted to kill him. They had a plot against his life on more than one occasion for several years, in fact. But as a citizen of Rome, he was afforded all these associated rights and privileges, uh, and he stood accused before King Agrippa, the ruler of a client kingdom of Rome, and before Festus, a governor of the local province, and before all these dignitaries and bigwigs of cultural society. And he was defending himself in one respect against these uh, charges that had been drummed up against him. But instead of merely pleading his own defense, he actually decided to make this case for Christ and, and give a witness to Jesus Christ. And uh, this guy, Agrippa, so compelling was Paul's testimony to the Lord Jesus Christ, that Agrippa said, Agrippa was supposed to just hear this as an objective listener, hear this case and maybe lend some insight to the local governor Festus. And he was supposed to be impartial and objective. And he said, Paul, you almost persuade me to become a Christian. That's how compelling Paul's case was, was that he made for Christ. So one man was almost on the verge of, of receiving the word. And the other guy, Festus, the governor said, I think you're out of your mind. I think you're, you're, you're crazy. You're out of your ever-loving mind. You, uh, I think you, you, you are speaking things that don't even make sense about resurrection and like what is this great light you saw from heaven and heard a voice or, or something. This is crazy. You're, all of your great learning is driving you mad. And Paul said, no, I speak sober truth, most excellent Festus. With gentleness and respect, he presented this message of the truth of Jesus Christ. He said, I'm not out of my mind. I speak words of sober truth. And we said that we too should be willing and able to speak words of sober truth as we also give testimony to the Lord Jesus Christ. That as believers in and followers of Jesus, that we should be much more concerned about sharing the faith and the hope that we have in Christ than simply defending ourselves a lot of times it's easy for us as believers in a world that is maybe going totally against everything that we believe in. We can get defensive. Meanwhile, Paul, instead of just defending himself against false accusations and characterizations from the culture, he said, I'm going to testify to Jesus Christ. I'm going to defend the name of Christ instead of defending myself here. And Paul did three things, we said, that we also need to do if we're going to testify about Christ. Paul did this in giving testimony to Jesus. We have to see and we have to seize the opportunities. This is what he did. We can't let those unique moments and opportunities just pass us by and slip away. We have to be looking for them because the opportunity to share Christ with someone will come up. And if you're not paying attention and I'm not looking to seize that opportunity, it passes us by. And that's it. And we say, oh, shucks, why didn't I open my mouth? Why didn't I do something or say something in that instance as Paul did? And then the second thing that he did that we have to do is we have to share hope to a world that's dying to hear it, dying to have hope. 
We have to let them know that there's more to this life. There's hope in the life to come. If you have found hope in Jesus Christ, you've got to share that hope with somebody next to you. And then we have to share about the actual encounter that we have with Christ and the difference that he's made in our lives. Sometimes we do this with words as Paul did in Acts 26. Other times we do it simply by living our lives in kindness as the delightfully different, peculiar people, the Bible says. We're supposed to be delightfully different kinds of people. So sometimes we speak words of testimony to Christ and sometimes the life that we lead is a testimony for others to see that Christ has made a difference in our lives. And as Peter said, we must be always ready to give a reason for the hope that we have. Always ready, but do it with gentleness. Do it with respect. And I pray that's what we are endeavoring to do with our lives in these days in particular. Because everyone is testifying about something. The only question is about what are we testifying? About whom is my life testifying? So that was Acts 26 and this morning. Brings us to Acts 27, as the Apostle Paul and some of his companions board a ship and they set sail for Rome. And Paul, being the Roman citizen as he was, he appealed to Caesar during his trial. It was his right to do so, but now that meant that he had to make the trip to Rome from where he was. And let's bear in mind, this was 2,000 years ago that they're making this trek. There's no carnival cruise line to get you there in comforts of of modern uh, things that we would expect, right? This is more an odyssey and an adventure, as we're about to see as we read this, than it was simply, let's just take a little boat ride over to Italy. That's not the way it worked 2,000 years ago, even as a, a passenger. And if there are risks involved in our day, then you'd probably have to mortar... Multiply that by orders of magnitude for 2,000 years ago because they had to, there was no Coast Guard, right? There was no CETO if you're uh, here in, in Long Island. You got CETO. You can always call them up if you get stranded or so. There was no CETO. There was no Coast Guard. There was no May Day of any kind except to call on the Lord God for help and for grace and rely on Him. You were either taking your life in your own hands or you were entrusting your life into God's hands. We're going to see the hardships that they faced. They encounter storms and hardships along the way. And it becomes clear that this trip is something of a metaphor for our journey through life. And life itself even. And as this common lot of people, Christians and Romans, soldiers and civilians alike, 276 people in all, as they begin to face These common challenges of violent winds, Luke says, storm-tossed seas and increasingly treacherous circumstances. In the middle of all this, someone stands up. Someone stands up in the middle of the madness, in the middle of the storm, and it's someone who knows the word of the Lord. And it's someone who at once becomes a voice of warning on one hand and a voice of encouragement on the other hand in the middle of the storm. And that someone in this case is the Apostle Paul. And in the same way that we too have a distinct degree of commonality with the culture around us and those who are in the same boat as we are, so to speak, I believe God wants to raise you up and raise me up as people who will become voices 
of warning and voices of encouragement in the middle of the storm that everybody's navigating in this boat together. And as the floodwaters begin to rise, as Jesus said, as men's hearts are failing them with fear, and that's what's happening in the world around us. In these last days, men's hearts will fail them for fear. I believe God wants us to stand up in the middle of the madness with the word of the Lord in our mouths and in love with gentleness and respect, share both the warning that it can sometimes be and the wisdom that it always is. As God raises up all of us in our day as voices of encouragement, let's read now from Acts 27. I'm going to condense some verses here, but we'll start in verse 1. When it was decided that we would sail for Italy, they proceeded to deliver Paul and some other prisoners to a centurion of the Augustan cohort named Julius. And embarking in a ship which was about to set sail to the regions along the coasts of Asia, we put out to sea, accompanied by Aristarchus, a Macedonian of Thessalonica. The next day, we put in at Shadon, and Julius treated Paul with consideration and allowed him to go to his friends and receive care. From there, we put out to sea and sailed under the shelter of Cyprus because the winds were contrary. When we had sailed through the sea along the coast of Cilicia, we landed in Lucia. There, the centurion found an Alexandrian ship sailing for Italy, and he put us aboard it. When we had sailed slowly for a good many days and with difficulty, since the wind would not permit us to go farther, we sailed under the shelter of Crete, and with difficulty sailing past it, we came to a place called Fair Havens. When considerable time had passed and the voyage was now dangerous, Paul began to admonish them and said to them, Men, I perceive that the voyage will certainly be with damage and great loss, not only of the cargo and the ship, but also of our lives. But the centurion was more persuaded by the pilot and the captain of the ship than by Paul. Because the harbor was not suitable for wintering, the majority reached a decision to put out to sea from there if somehow they could reach Phoenix, a harbor of Crete, and spend the winter there. When a moderate south wind came up, supposing that they had attained their purpose, they weighed anchor and began sailing along Crete, close inshore. But before long, there rushed down from the land a violent wind. And when the ship was caught in it, and they could not face the wind, we gave way to it and let ourselves be driven along. Running under the shelter of a small island, we were scarcely able to get the ship's boat under control. And after they hoisted it up, they used supporting cables and undergirding the ship, and fearing they might run aground on the shallows, they let down the sea anchor, and in this way, let themselves be driven along. The next day, as they were being violently storm-tossed, they began to jettison the cargo, and on the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. And since neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and no small storm was assailing us, from then on, all hope of our being saved was gradually abandoned. And when they had gone a long time without food, then Paul stood up in their midst and said, Men, you ought to have followed my advice and not to have set sail from Crete and incurred the damage and loss. Yet now I encourage you, I urge you to keep up your courage. For there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For this very night, an angel of God to whom I belong and whom I serve stood before me saying, Do not be afraid, Paul. 
you must stand before Caesar. And behold, God has granted you all those who are sailing with you. Therefore, keep up your courage, men, for I believe God that it will turn out exactly as I've been told. But we must run aground on a certain island. Father in heaven, thank you for your word to us today. Thank you for preserving this word for the past 2,000 years so that we could read it, so that we could hear it, Lord, and pay attention to this amazing account of faith this morning and the way in which you keep your people and you keep your word. You, you say that you watch over your word to perform it. Father, grant that we would see Jesus today, that we would know you more through your word here, through the power of your spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Thank you, Father. Amen and amen. Verse 1, after having appealed to Caesar, Luke says, it was decided that we would sail for Italy. I like how he says that. It was decided. He doesn't say who decided. He says it was decided. And it makes me wonder, to whom was he referring? Who did he see as having made this decision? I'll tell you who I see as having made it. Italy's where Rome is, right? And Rome is where Caesar is, and the Lord's already spoken on multiple occasions at this point that Paul was going to testify in Rome where Caesar was, just as he had faithfully witnessed in Jerusalem. So it isn't Festus, the governor, who's decided that Paul's going to Rome. God decided they would sail for Italy. And here's a bit of what that journey to Rome entailed in map form. You can see there on the, the right side, they began in Caesarea, Festus province, and went up there to Shidon and past Cyprus and all these areas in the uh, Mediterranean Sea there came across to this uh, fair havens. And even, I was looking for Justin, they even made a stop in, uh, in Malta. You see that? The motherland, they stopped over there. So uh, that's next week though. But again... There were no modern conveniences. They had to take all the provisions that they could stow inside the ship. They tried to stay close to the shore because of the potential danger and, and what could happen uh, along the way in case they had to get supplies or make repairs, which they did run into trouble, and they were glad to be close by and had to take a couple of trips and, and uh, set sail again. And at the outset, though, we see Paul's not alone on this trip. We hear two particular names. First, his faithful friend, Aristarchus, and you might remember him from Acts 19. This was the same uh, guy who was dragged into the amphitheater. Remember the situation where the silversmiths were upset because all the people in the town were uh, coming to the Lord and, and, and began to say these, these silver things that people have, these idols, they're not gods at all. They're just silver and gold, and it's, and it's not God. It's just idol worship. And so the silversmiths were losing their business. And the silversmith famously said, we're, we're falling into ill repute. They'll think bad of us because uh, all these people are being saved and they're calling us idol makers. True story. So many people were turning to Christ because of the ministry of Paul and his companion Aristarchus that they were putting away their idols and recognizing these weren't gods at all. Imagine so many people turning to Christ that the industries of idol making and idol worship in our society were shutting down and going out of business because so many people were turning to Christ. That's what's happening here in this first century. 
And so they dragged him into the local arena. Then in Acts 20, we see him accompanying Paul on another one of his journeys. And now here in Acts 27, here's this same guy. He must have been a good soldier and a faithful companion to endure hardship in the amphitheater, people dragging him in there to kill him. God raised up someone to deliver him and just shut everyone down. The town clerk said, guys, you can't do this, and they let him go. But then he's on the ship again here with Paul, suffering hardship again. Aren't you thankful for faithful friends who will suffer hardship as a good soldier? Paul would later, right? As is Luke, similarly, now Luke begins to insert himself in the story. He starts to say, we were on the ship. We were there together. We were setting sail. We experienced these challenges. So Paul's not alone in this trip. But the trip is not without difficulty. Verse 7, we, we sailed slowly and with difficulty. Verse 8, with difficulty we were sailing. Verse 9, the voyage was now dangerous. And if this is a metaphor for life, it's a good one. For them, it was real life. It was for keeps. But I think there's something for us to see as it relates to our lives this morning. How many of you have had difficult sailing in recent months or years of your life or at some point in some leg on the journey you experience danger or difficulty or all of a sudden you're sailing slowly when you thought you should be cruising along well you're in good company Paul and his friends experienced danger and difficulty here and Christ himself experienced danger and difficulty on his journey and so will we nothing surprising or unexpected about that. Jesus said in this world, you will have trouble, trials, tribulations, and experience things like danger and difficulty. C.S. Lewis said it this way, if you want a religion to make you feel really comfortable, I certainly don't recommend Christianity. So it comes as no surprise that these followers of Christ experience difficulty here, and it should come as no surprise when you and I experience difficulty. Even though it does sometimes, doesn't it? It's like almost every time it happens, we're shocked or blindsided by the challenges. Even though it should be expected at this point, certainly as followers of Christ. But after the crew and passengers Soldiers and prisoners begin to experience the danger and difficulty. Paul admonishes them in verse 10. He says, I perceive, I perceive that the voyage will certainly be with damage and great loss. Paul becomes here a voice of warning to everyone on the ship or to anyone who will hear or who can listen. It's worth noting this word perceive is rendered from the Greek word theoreo, from which we get the word in English, theory, means to view attentively and to consider, to survey the situation. This is what Paul is doing. And he theorizes about the outcome. He says, I perceive. Here's what I think is going to happen. It seems pretty clear this is what's going to happen. You're going to experience damage and loss if you continue down this path. There's this nexus between being perceptive and paying attention on one side and Theoreo about the outcome that's going to happen down the road. And Paul, whether through the Holy Spirit or through his God-given powers of perception, is warning them here about the journey ahead. And it's 
difficult sometimes to know whether it's the Holy Spirit speaking or it's just a thought in my own head. I know you've probably had these experiences before. I imagine that most of the believers in this room have had a sort of intuition at some point in your lives or, you know, not something spooky or hyper-spiritual necessarily, but some sort of God-given inkling or concern from an attentive observation or maybe the Holy Spirit of God is speaking to you and we should pay attention when he is. But you've had those times when you're theorizing outcomes in a given situation, some people would say, well, isn't it obvious? They're facing difficulty, right? They uh, can't get, it's dangerous. Well, of course they're going to suffer damage and loss. That should be obvious, right? But it's not always so obvious to someone who's in the middle of the storm that if they stay on this path, they're going to experience damage and loss. And so God wants to raise us up as a voice of warning to say, hey, I perceive that if you stay on this road and keep going in this direction, that you're going to experience, in fact, not just you, but a lot of people around you are going to experience damage and loss as a result of it. Can't you see what's going on here if you continue down this path? Don't you know what's going to happen? Maybe you should consider a different course of action. I believe God wants to raise you up and raise us up to be the voice of godly reason and spiritual perception and maybe even natural perception in some instances in a world that's filled with danger and difficulty and that's on its way to damage and great loss i hope we're hearing this message this morning somebody has to be willing and able to assess the situation and at least give people a chance to consider the looming outcome of the path that they have decided to be on. Be willing to theoreo about what lies ahead, even if, even if they respond this way as they did in verse 11. The centurion was more persuaded by the pilots and the captain of the ship than by what was being said by Paul. You don't have to worry or fret or be upset if the people don't, don't heed the warning. You just have to give it. You just have to give it. And when people are rejecting you, that's not even the hard part. That's not even the tough part. The truly tough part is that their failure to heed the warning has implications for other people and sometimes has implications for you, especially if you're in the same ship. Paul and the other disciples included. When the centurion isn't listening to them and heeding their warning, it has implications for Paul and his companions. It's an interesting aspect in this whole scenario. In certain ways, in certain ways, not in every way, but in many ways, since they all share a ship in common and a journey in common, they sort of share a common fate, in the natural at least. Not ultimately, not specifically, but in general, if the ship goes down for one, the ship goes down for everybody. So Paul is called... And you are called, and I am called, to pay attention to the situation and become a voice of warning at times, even though others may not heed the admonition, even though their failure to do so has implications for others and maybe even for you. Jesus didn't say it would be easy. He said he would be with us. So the pilot, the captain, they persuade the centurion, and and it says a majority of the people 
a majority said we should do this, and there's just another lesson for us there. Just because the majority decides that this is the, the thing to do doesn't mean it's the right or best thing to do at all. Then in verse 13, before long, a moderate south wind came up. And then in verse 14, there rushed down a violent wind. In verse 15, when the ship was caught in it, we gave way to it and let ourselves be driven along. Did you ever notice that when people don't heed the warning, things usually get worse? Not always, but sometimes before long, Luke says, a little time passed. Before long, the winds began to blow Before long, moderately at first, then violently afterwards. And before you knew it, the ship was caught in it, Luke says. If you fail to heed the warning, your ship can get caught by the turbulence and get caught by the violent winds and the life circumstance until at some point people just give way to the chaos and let themselves be driven along. Some people just say, I give up in the middle of the storm and allow themselves to be driven by the winds and whichever way the wind blows, that's where they're going because they just gave up. And they were so concerned that they just threw caution to the wind. They began to jettison anything that they could spare, supplies, tackle, any kind of gear, anything that would help their cause. Verse 20 says this, neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and no small storm was assailing us. From then on, all hope of our being saved was gradually abandoned. Imagine that. No sun, no stars, nothing but wind and rain for days on end. And in the hearts and minds of most everyone on the ship, hope was abandoned. This is what happens when the storms rise. Many people begin to give up hope. Have you been there? Maybe somebody here this morning is ready to give up hope. But on this day, Luke says that Paul stood up in their midst, and after being the voice of warning before the damage and loss began to occur, and after sharing fates with them on some level to this point, after damage and loss begins to compound, Paul goes from being the voice of warning to becoming the voice of encouragement because they're both necessary. They're both vital. It's good and it's right to give warning, and a lot of Christians do. But you can't just stay in that place. Too many Christian believers do that. And all they talk about is doom and gloom. And all they talk about is how terrible so many things are in their ship but Christ himself brought the sobering warnings to the people of his day but he also brought the love and the encouragement as Paul does here and he says in verse 22 Paul does I urge you to keep up your courage for there will be no loss of life among you Now Paul has heard the word of the Lord and he stands up in faith to encourage people with it. And he says, you're coming with me. God told me the God I serve says, I'm going to Rome and guess what? You're coming with me. I've been told that you're going to make it and that no, there's not going to be any loss of life. Verse 25, keep up your courage, amen. I believe God that it will turn out exactly as I've been told. 
And even though they didn't listen to him the first time, they almost have to listen to him the second time. Why is that? Because he was willing to go out on a limb and give the warning that proved itself true. What if he hadn't done that? They'd have had little or no reason to believe what he said the next time when he came with the encouragement or what he's telling them now. But because he did speak up with the voice of warning, they have to pay attention when he speaks the word as a voice of encouragement from the Lord. And so it is for us. We have to be willing to be that voice of warning so that when the difficulty and the damage comes, perhaps someone may not even listen to us, but when God wants to use us as the voice of encouragement, maybe they'll have to. Maybe they'll pay attention because we were willing to stand up first and be that voice of warning. And if you're a believer today who's committed to following Christ with your life, I believe as it was with Paul here and these disciples, that there are some things that God has decided on your path, just as he decided about theirs. And here's the thing. We're all in this, after a fashion, we're all in this together in the same ship. Whether it's the American ship, whether it's the global ship, whether it's the New York ship or the ship of your neighborhood, whatever it is, there is a divine intentional intertwining of us with the people on the ship around us so that even though our ultimate fates might be distinct from one another, our fates on this ship are somehow tied together and connected and interconnected. And there's no way to fully divest yourself from every aspect of civilian or secular life. Paul couldn't do that. Jesus didn't do that. Because guess what? This is actually part of God's design. This is actually God's design. His plan wasn't to simply have us abandon the world and the culture and the neighborhood or the country. Instead, he calls us to act as his people, his agents, as his voice, and become those people who will speak up as a voice of warning. People who would perceive what's going on in the world around us and not sit idly by and say, well, I guess there's nothing I can do or just complain about it. But to stand up in the midst of people who are losing hope and about to abandon hope and say, there's hope for life in this situation. And when we see the implications of our ship going headlong into the storm, somebody has to speak up as a voice of warning and say, can't you see what lies ahead? And when the people around us begin to experience the storms and when they're blowing in the wind and being tossed to and fro and there's danger and difficulty and damage, he calls us to be that voice of encouragement. I wonder when Paul wrote his letter to the Ephesians, was he thinking back to this moment when he said, I don't want you to be tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. But God calls us not simply to be a voice of warning, but to be this voice of encouragement because he's already told us how it ends for us. As Paul knew how it was going to end for him, testifying in Rome, we know how it ends with us. We're going to be united with Christ in eternity. And we too can be urging those 
others around us in this ship to keep their courage because there's hope for them also to experience no loss of life. We should be those who stand up and say in the middle of the waves, I believe God. I believe God. And it's going to turn out exactly as he said it's going to. The world is dying for that hope and we've been talking about it the past three sessions from this book of the Acts. Who will stand up in the middle of the storm knowing that even though your fate is connected in certain ways with the culture and the people around you, who will stand up in the middle of the storm and declare the word of the Lord? Interject hope to an otherwise hopeless situation. I pray that you would be that voice of warning and that voice of encouragement to the people in the ship around you. Father in heaven, thank you for your word to us today. Thank you for your Holy Spirit in us. Thank you, Lord, again, that you watch over your word to perform it. Pray your word would fall on good soil today. We would believe and we'd respond, Lord, that we would listen for your word to us and then we would be perceptive with the situations around us so that we might speak your word at the right moment to the right person at the right time. And though not everyone will listen or heed it, Father, I pray that we would bear fruit when we come also as a voice of encouragement. Lord, that people would know, if nothing else, we're consistent to share your word, however it comes, in whatever form it takes, and that you, through the power of your Holy Spirit, would cause it to grow and bring life. Lord, we pray there would be no loss of life in our boat. Raise us up as you did with Paul. Raise us up, Father, as you did with Christ himself to be that voice in our day. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, we ask all these things. Lord, let it be. Amen. If you would stand as we are dismissed from Paul's second letter to the Thessalonians, where Aristarchus was from. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself And God, our Father, who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace, may Christ himself comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. In Christ's name we pray, amen and amen. I pray God would raise you up as a voice to the people around you for his purpose and for his kingdom. Amen, amen. God bless you all. As always, we are here to pray and we just pray God's blessing on your journey as you go this morning.